I'd rather talk you out of a bad deal than, oh, geez, I got to do this and it didn't make sense. So that's why I'm a big fan of including that clause. You're listening to The Right Club Podcast, where the focus is all about helping you grow your real estate investment portfolio and live the life you want to live. Come grow with us and join our community at therightclub.com. And now your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi. Welcome back, Right Club Nation, to another episode of The Right Club Podcast. Today, I am with my co-host, Sarah Larby. How are you doing, Sarah? I'm doing great. How are you doing? Very good, very good. Really, really pumped for uh, for this interview and this podcast. Rod Revko is in the business of law. He's an economist, a banker before he became a lawyer, works with real estate investors, is an investor himself, gives some amazing tips. We get into a whole lot of information, a really, really great podcast. Yeah, make sure that you guys uh, pay attention, take the notes. And if you like what you hear, make sure to rate and review us on the podcast and all the listeners that, uh, that are out there. Thank you, Right Club Nation. On behalf of Sarah, we love doing this, interviewing amazing people. And uh, yeah, this podcast is going to be amazing. You guys are going to love it. Let's get right to it. All right, let's bring in Rod. All right, and welcome to the show, Rod Revco from Revco and Associates. Uh, and I love the tagline, the business of law. And that really is uh, what Rod's all about. For, uh, for those of the Right Club community that haven't had the chance to, uh, to meet Rod or speak with Rod, uh, he's, he's a friend of mine. And uh, Rod, why don't you give a little bit of an intro, uh, you know, the 30,000 foot view, uh, a little bit of a background of, uh, of yourself for our listeners sure, today. I appreciate that very much, Alfonso. Yes, so um, I'm Rod Revko. For those of you who don't know me, just a brief kind of bio. I've been a lawyer now for approximately 17 years. Time flies when you're having fun or suing people for $20 million, as I like to say. But a little bit more about my particular background. I was an economist and I worked in banking before I was a lawyer. And I kind of model myself as a business person first. I started my own firm after working for the large firms for the first part of my career. I started about 12 years ago now, my own firm. And at the time, I saw that there was going to be a huge change uh, with technology. The real, the, uh, specifically, the, uh, the legal industry has always been kind of antiquated uh, because it takes time for things to go through the courts, for the laws to change, the statutes, that type of thing. But I saw how tech was going to change all industries in the mid to, to late 2000s. And I thought this would be a great opportunity to create a new style of 21st century law firm. So we, um, the firm now has grown. I take uh, pride in saying, and Alfonso knows the story, uh, I started uh, the law firm with my new laptop on credit from Best Buy, uh, $50 of Staples business cards, very impressive at the time, and my kitchen table. And just kind of had a work ethic and a dream. I've always been an entrepreneur. I've owned businesses before. And I thought that I would try to create a new and improved style of law firm. So I take pride in saying we've now grown um, to have three locations in London, Burlington, and Toronto. And we pretty much provide legal services uh, throughout uh, the province of Ontario and very often even internationally or nationally. And I believe we now have grown to 16 employees. In that respect, we have junior lawyers, etc. But our approach is to be different than your typical 20th century law firm. We'll talk more about that as we go through. But the idea is to be progressive. I'm the type that, as Alfonso know, if you need to text your lawyer, you can text me. Um, in that respect, I remember about five years ago, I had, because uh, we work with a lot of startup companies, and I had a, uh, a younger guy, he was 22, 
and uh, he was out of Ottawa. And he said, hey, I found you on the internet. Can I use you as my lawyer? We're apart. And I said, yeah, not a problem. I said, you can even send the retainer. And he says, how do I do that? I say, you can do a credit card or you can send an e-transfer. And I'll never forget what he said, but it's telling. He said, wow, a lawyer that knows what an e-transfer is? You are cool, man. Pretty impressive. Because he said, I've been talking to lots of lawyers and they don't get it. So that story is a little bit antiquated now, but it shows you what we're all about. Uh, my approach is always, I'm fascinated. I did not predict, as you've heard my joke, a global pandemic in 2020 that would mandate technology, but we like technology and I like technology and I like being progressive. Um, so we're very client oriented and we do a lot of uh, different things that are unique. Uh, we don't charge extra for phone calls, emails or text messages, and we use things that are flat fees. So we're really geared towards the entrepreneur, whether you're running a $25 million company and we have some of those clients or you're the first time real estate investor. I spoke with one today. I took a half hour and I gave her the wealth of my particular knowledge. And I said, hey, you know what? Shop around, do what you gotta do, but educate yourself. We like long-term relationships with our clients. So I like to invest. And if you invest, that leads you to different opportunities. Uh, Alfonso and I have known each other for quite some time um, in that respect. And that led me here today and I'm happy to be here. So that's kind of, uh, the uh, the 30,000 uh, foot view of uh, what I am and what I bring to the table. And I'm looking forward to today to give you uh, as much opinion from a legal perspective as I can. Very cool. Thanks for that. I mean, it's uh, it's great to see that you were prior to, to us going virtual, that you were progressive and you were using as much uh, technology as possible because, you know, ultimately like having to do things manually is is just a nuisance like you know if, if you can get things done you can sign on you know virtually you can have these meetings virtually and you were implementing that i mean that's that's huge and you can be anywhere in ontario and you can even be in costa rica or somewhere warm and get some transactions done which is which is my dream so i, I also want to ask you because you you are also so you obviously work with real estate investors but you are also an investor yourself is that correct that's correct and, uh, and so what kind of investing strategy do you do? Yeah, so what I will tell you is I'm a little bit old school and a little bit uh, new school in that respect. So I've always kind of, uh, and I have my qualifications um, for investment planning, although I'm not allowed to give any invested advice, speak to your qualified advisors, boys and girls out there. But all joking aside, what I will say is that I kind of practice what I preach. So I invest in commercial properties, I invest in residential properties. I tend to take a longer term approach uh, when it comes to real estate investing, simply because I wish I had the skill set to get out and do plumbing, electrician, et cetera, that sort of thing. But my day job keeps me pretty busy. So I tend to focus on things because I'm a big fan of positive cash flow. And the great thing, as the old expression goes, uh, they're not making more land and they're not making really more real estate. So what I can tell you, and you know, it's timely that currently we're all dealing with the fallout of the COVID-19 pandemic. My prediction is that five years from now, we won't be talking about the pandemic, but we'll be talking about, wow, did you see all the potential buying opportunities and the free money that they were giving out in 2020? Interest rates are historically low, but if you follow what real estate essentially does, 
Is it an sure bet? Absolutely not. There's no such thing. But real estate pays off in the long term. And it's one thing that currently this year for sure has held its value, if not increased. The worst case scenario is you can live in the place uh, in that respect. And generally, I like to diversify my own portfolio. So I'm fascinated with things that have a proven track record, um, as well as the potential for growth whether it's commercial or residential, et cetera, um, in that respect. I'm not your flip guy in that respect. Uh, I like watching those TV shows, but uh, I don't want to get in there and do it myself. That being said, we have many clients that they, I am envious when they get their checks in that respect, but it is a lot of work and uh, candidly, my day job probably keeps me a little too busy. But that being said, for the first time investor out there, you generally want to look at something that is low risk. So I'm a big fan of obviously as Alfonso knows the rent to owns. That's a great way to get into the market without having to worry per se about a lot of the heavy lifting. And uh, that's something I always recommend uh, to people as they're, as they're initially starting. But the big thing is do what you feel comfortable with. Uh, commercial investing is generally requires a lot more upfront capital to get into it. The residential can, but it's a little bit low. And it generally carries a little less risk as well, I would say, um, in that respect. But I think the big thing is really what your goal is. I'm a big believer of what I call reverse engineering. So for example, if I wanna make a million dollars and I wanna do that in the next five years, I will say, okay, if that's my end goal, then what steps do I have to take to get there in five years? And then if I go and work back to where I am right now, then the path is going to still go back and forth, but I'm going to stay focused on my end goal, making a million dollars. And I'm a big believer that you should consciously and subconsciously focus on that. Why I'm mentioning this is that when it comes to real estate, I'm paid to be paranoid and I'm paid quite well. That's one of my taglines because I'm legal counsel. So of course, I'm going to tell you your pros, your cons, there's risk in everything, but the risk should be what you're comfortable with in that respect. So that's why I would basically say, as if you're going into real estate investing, then make sure you're comfortable with the following. You plan for the worst, hope for the best, and see where your target is a year from now, three years from now, five years from now, and then work towards those particular goals. And that's, that's basically the best advice that I've applied um, over the course of my investing career. And that's why I'm a big fan of um, educating yourself so that you can make an informed decision. Um, it's a privilege in my position. I'm your humble advisor and I give you the wealth of my knowledge so that you can make an informed decision um, in that respect. One of my favorite uh, jokes to tell, because it's not really a joke, is the first time home buyer, as Alfonso knows, that has no clue about land transfer tax. And they always say to me, well, well, Rod, land transfer tax, that sounds like a scam made up by lawyers. And uh, it's not. I say that's half right. It's a scam made up by politicians. And that's my joke, because the reality is that most people aren't aware of land transfer tax. And you do get a rebate if you're a first-time homebuyer. Uh, but after that, you have to essentially pay that land transfer tax. And that is an, a cost. So anytime you're going into a real estate investment, you have to factor in your particular costs. 
and know what your profit margins are, et cetera, that sort of thing. So that's why like the land transfer tax, I've had so many first time home buyers say, I didn't even know it existed. I said, why would you? Everyone accepts in Ontario that we pay 13% uh, HST. You don't question it. Everyone on this podcast who's watching it, et cetera, has paid HST today. Not everyone has paid land transfer tax, and yet the government raises tons of money, and it's quite expensive, especially if in Toronto area, you pay double. Uh, you pay the municipal land transfer tax as well as the provincial. So that can be pretty pricey, especially when you're looking at the prices of homes in uh, Toronto, for example, are hovering around a million bucks. So that's where I like to advise clients and say, hey, make sure that you are making the correct decision for your particular current financial position and your risk tolerance. Uh, think about the pros and cons. And that's my job is to try to uh, advise clients from a legal perspective so that they're making informed decisions, uh, whether it's land transfer tax or VTV mortgages, et cetera, et cetera. Hey guys, just want to pause the podcast for a quick minute to introduce you to some of the really awesome new things that I'm doing for 2021. I've started working on a new course called the Burr Freedom Community, which is essentially all year for 12 months, 24 total calls every first Tuesday and third Thursday of the month at 7 p.m. Eastern time. These are going to be live group calls all about the Burr strategy by renovate, rent, refinance, repeat. And I'm going to share my tools, my learnings that I've acquired throughout the years, processes, procedures, my team. And by the end of the time that you're going to be spending with me and taking this course, you're going to be well-versed in how to do the Burr process with single family, conversions, multifamily, and it's going to be every first Tuesday and third Thursday at 7 to 8.30 p.m. I'm going to share as well all the documents that I use for all of those steps. So you can join at any time, and obviously the sooner that you do, the, the better so that you can get the content from the starts. Again, this January went through the buy process in February and go through the renovation process, et cetera, and so forth. So again, if you are interested in joining, check out my website, sarahlarby.com. And now back to the show. Yeah, absolutely. And as, as we started working with uh, Jack Properties, working with Rod more and more over the last few years, it's always about you know, having that in the back of my mind, like, okay, what would Rod do? What would Rod say? How can we say, okay, we have to run this by Rod to make sure that, that it's working, especially when we're talking about agreements or, or bringing on new people. So I know you definitely work with a lot of investors as well, too, that are, you know, looking to grow their portfolio. And maybe what are some of the, like, uh, maybe missing some costs is one of them that you just touched on, but what are some other common mistakes that you see once they're in front of you? Maybe uh, private lending is a, is a very popular strategy these days as well, too. So maybe what are some of the things that from a private lending or from a rookie type investor, newer investors um, that you're seeing? What, what I would say is that the advice that I give most often is don't forget about the spread. Okay. So who are the most successful? And I'll see if you two can get it real estate investors in the world who are, and what, what I, I'll, I'll give you a hint. What institutions are the most successful real estate investor in the world? I'll let you go first, Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I, you know what? 
I have a random guess, and it's because I watched the movie The Founder, like McDonald's. That's great. Yeah. They don't even rank. Oh, wow. wow. Bigger than that. Bigger than that. Okay. I, I give up. I actually don't know. It's, it's quite intriguing. Banks. Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> ah, you see? Okay. So here's why I'm mentioning this, okay, is that former banker, full disclosure, okay, but why are banks billionaires? Because, for example, the big five Canadian banks, they just started investing in real estate 200 years ago. Okay. That's the reality. Okay. They've been around their billionaires because of that. The reason why I mention is they literally have trillions of dollars invested in real estate. Okay. Fully secured. And therefore, I've always been fascinated as a former banker. You watch what they do okay, which is control the spread. Even in the current times where you can get, you know, an, uh, a five-year fixed mortgage for less than 2%. But I ask you, the banks are charging 2% and what are they paying you on your savings account? A quarter of 1%, okay? So in that particular scenario, if you have a 2% mortgage, the bank is making an eight times spread, even though the quantum is very small. You go 2% versus a quarter of 1%, that's not much. But if you amortize that over 25 years, which is the standard mortgage, okay, that's some mucho dinero, okay, yes, um, in that respect. And that's why if, if you look at that, I always go, hey, imitation is the highest form of flattery. There's not too many people that are going to listen to this podcast that are billionaires. If you are, give me a call. I'll give you my direct cell number. But all jokes aside, okay, the idea is to look at what successful real estate investors do. And that's why I mentioned the banks. We all know them, okay, in that respect. And that's essentially where they make the majority of their money. And they focus on that spread. So back to Alfonso's question is that whether you're a first-time investor or you've done 10 deals, when you're evaluating a deal, you want to make sure that the chances that your profit spread are going to pay off are as high as possible. The candid reason why the banks are so good at it is that it's basically they control what we describe as an oligopoly because they've been around forever and they're good at it. Their, their default rate or of not maintaining the spread is very, very low. Um, even in tough times, they plan accordingly. So the best advice that I can give from a legal perspective is that make sure that you're focusing on the spread. What is your particular benefit? There are some transactions that I've purchased where I'm solely focused myself on the equity. I go, that property is undervalued. I know and I'm willing to bet in my gut that I'm going to double my money in five years. So I don't care whether if, uh, if the rent pays the mortgage and the overhead costs and I'm even funding it a little bit, okay, per se, because my spread doesn't cover because I know the equity is going to be there. Other times you look and go, hey, for example, on a rent to own or um, something that's a rental property, go, okay, I'm buying a $600,000 property. Um, I can rent it out. The overhead costs are 2,500 a month. I can rent it out for 3,500. Not only am I building equity, but I have a cash flow positive situation. 
okay? I have a recent client that acquired a property. He was thinking it was going to be a long-term hold when he bought it in April and he just sold it, okay? And his comment to me was, how can I not, okay? I can make myself a hundred grand in six months. I thought this was a long-term hold, but I know I can pull that money out and redeploy in something else. So again, it really comes back to what are your particular goals? Some people just want that second property because you get the tax benefit, uh, no capital gains in your private residence. But if you have another property and you're looking to supplement an early retirement, then making an extra 500 bucks uh, per month over 25 years and then you sell that is a nice little way to go. So it really comes down to the individual and knowing what, what I call your spread, it's really just, if you're the bank, you know that you can live with a small interest rate spread because you have billions of dollars invested. And you know, 1.75% return on your money times a billion, that's a nice chunk of change. It's quite a bit, absolutely. So, exactly. so the goals and the spread. So, I mean, obviously you're giving us tons of great information. I do want to pivot a little bit because I know we're talking a lot about like the newbies, but you know, half, half of our listeners are, are experienced investors and investors that have already you know, a handful of properties. And I want to go back to something that you said you were talking about VTBs. And, and I, th- I think in, in the upcoming market, depending on what happens, there might be some more opportunity coming where there will be somebody that's wanting to sell and you know, okay with a VTB. Can you briefly, from a legal perspective, go through what an investor needs to do to get that deal and and properly put the VTB together? Sure. The first one, you got to find one. Okay. Uh, That's the challenge. So a VTB stands for vendor take back, obviously. So the standard would be, uh, I'll give you a a kind of a quasi real life that we just did. The seller owned the property and did a private deal with my client, the purchaser for 600,000. Okay. And then there is no mortgage. So when I said you have to find one, the person that owns the property generally has to own it free and clear in order to be able to do a VTB. Not always, but generally that's when a VTB shows up. So in that particular recent example, my client put down 200,000 and took a VTB, which is the vendor take back. So they have to pay the seller who still has an interest in the property the monthly payments and it's a two-year term at a set interest rate okay the great advantage to the seller is that they don't give up control of the property so example if my client doesn't pay and defaults guess who gets the property back plus they kept the two hundred thousand dollar down payment so there's very little risk for the person that holds the vtb why i'm mentioning this is that from the person who's buying using the VTB, you can usually negotiate down your interest rate because it's fully secured, if you follow what I'm saying. So can you do VTBs when there's a first mortgage, say with a major bank? Yes, you can, but you still have to come up with money to be able to satisfy all of the debts currently registered on the property. So this is a little more advanced question, so I'm gonna give a little more advanced answer. Let's change the scenario. That seller wants to sell for 600,000, but he has a first for 250. In order to put the VTB on, that seller has to get at least $250,000 down upon closing 
to pay off that first mortgage, then they can put a VTB because as my joke has been for years, you don't own that property until you pay down the bank. So if there is a first, you can only give a VTB in second position for the difference. It all comes down to the spread, okay? How much, in this case, it's the equity spread. So the VTB can be 100% of the remaining equity. Generally, people won't do that because they've got to incur their lawyer's expenses, that sort of thing. And it all comes down to LTV, which is loan to value ratio. And most, even with VTVs, they want a little bit of a spread between what the property is worth. So just in case you default, they can recover their legal costs, et cetera, that sort of thing. But it's like any other mortgage recovery. If there's a default, it takes about six months uh, before they can take the property back. They'll, you'll spend thousands of dollars in legal costs. You should avoid it at all cost. But you can have a VTB and it can be negotiated directly with the seller. So you don't have to jump through the hoops that you would with a major financial institution. So that kind of gives a brief overview of how that VTB works. It's great though, because you can move very quick. You can sign the agreement of purchase and sale and include a VTB clause in it. And as long as the seller is in the financial position to do so, you can close within two weeks. And we've done so within the past month. So that VTB is very powerful. And now we're going to take a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. Hey, Right Club Nation, I just wanted to take a moment and introduce you to today's podcast sponsor, privatebuyers.ca. On your team of experts, you're going to want to make sure that you have a great wholesaler that's going to bring you some great deals off market. So most real estate investors, they're struggling to find their next deal. Private buyers, they help investors by bringing them some off-market opportunities at under market value so that they can make more money. These discounted real estate deals are not on the MLS. They've been found by privatebuyers.ca who will then send them to your inbox. And they're also gonna focus on your criteria and your goals and send you some tailored deals that match your needs. It's just really simple, guys. Just go to privatebuyers.ca, fill out the form, and start getting and seeing some available off-market opportunities. Privatebuyers.ca. Now back to the podcast. And now back to the show. So just to recap though, obviously you've got to find somebody free and clear property is, is ideal. It's better. It's easier to do. And then you would sign a purchase and sale agreement, add the VTB clause in there, and then essentially agree what the VTB looks like, send it to you. They have a lawyer and then you guys work it out from there. Is that how you would recommend people do it? That's correct. And what's essential is that if it's a private transaction without realtors, or even if it's with realtors, I'm a big fan with the VTB that you put the clause in saying that both the purchaser as well as the seller have the option, uh, or it's conditional upon five business days reviewing the contents with their legal counsel. And that way I'll get the call. Hey, Rod, I got something going on. Can you check it out real quick? Absolutely because I'd rather talk you out of a bad deal than, oh, geez, I got to do this, and it didn't make sense. So that's why I'm a big fan of including that clause. And there has to be on both sides. I say, if you're considering doing a VTB, which some of our listeners might be, then in my opinion, also review it with your, with your legal counsel to make sure that you understand absolutely how this is going to play out, because there's a lot of work that needs to be done for the holder of that VTB, um, which is the seller, 
and the purchaser has to make sure they can qualify, or I shouldn't say qualify, but they can afford paying that VTB cost. Yeah, and that can be definitely a, a great strategy to use in this competitive market, right? To get a property under contract, get it in your possession rather quickly, like Rod saying five, six days a week, something like that versus these long-term periods. So uh, two-part question, one to wrap up the VTB is, you know, what would, how would you know when to, qual- when to qualify that and say, hey, I should put in that VTB or I shouldn't? Because when you're just, it doesn't say that on a listing or anything like that. What are some indications or signs that, you know, we can look for general public wise? Yeah, I mean, what I would say is that just ask the question, ask the realtor, okay? Hey, you know, do they have paper as the expression goes or mortgage registered on title? Okay. And usually if it's a realtor, you know, it does that realtor should be able to know that information. Okay. Uh, Sometimes clients will ask and say, Hey, we're doing this and we want to make sure that that person actually owns it. Can we pull title on the property so that we actually can create the agreement of purchase and sale and actually put a private offer in. Okay. what I would basically say, it never hurts to ask, okay? It, you see VTBs a lot more in private transactions without realtors, okay, I find, just because that is generally off the market properties where people will go after it aggressively um, in that respect. So the simple answer to that question is ask, okay? Um, Love it. It doesn't hurt. It. Like, if you come to offered me, you know, 8% VTB fully secured. I'll take that interest only. Oh yeah, sure. Take your time. How about you take 20 years paying me 8%. Okay? I'm <laughs> yeah. good with that right now. Okay. Yeah. Um, Absolutely. And, and the second, and the second part of that is just as we're recording this, as, as you mentioned, it's a super competitive supply and demand, not a lot of inventory, a lot of people going out there, but still a lot of people finding success and, and to find those properties. What are, what are some quick, you know, some tips or strategies on, is there, is there a clause? Is there something that we can put in those agreements of purchase and sale that makes that offer more attractive to that seller that makes them want to work with us versus the other tens of dozens of, of uh, offers that they're getting? Yeah. What I would tell you is that it comes down to um, ultimately, I keep saying the spread, but it's the, what's the rate of return on investment, okay? So example, if I sell the property free and clear, I get 600 grand. I got 600 grand, what am I gonna do with it? If I put it in my bank account, okay, I get a lousy quarter percent, okay? So I'm losing because inflation is still 2%, okay? So if Alfonso comes to me and says, hey, uh, how about that 8%, I'll put $200,000 down, no offense to Alfonso, but the nuclear option, if he drops dead, I get the property back and I kept his money. So in that respect, I'm looking going, that's very attractive, okay? So does so, the title, sorry, does the title stay with the VTB and the seller then? No, what happens is it goes to the purchaser, but there is a mortgage registered against title to the property. So we hate to pick on Alfonso, but if he drops dead, then I get to essentially take over that property unless his estate wants to deal with it accordingly, okay? So there's no risk. Um, He can't abscond with the the property, can't sell it without paying me out. So that's, if you follow my example, in that $600,000 that I keep focusing on, a $400,000 VTB first mortgage 
at 8% interest only means I'm making, if my math is correct, $32,000 a year for doing nothing, okay? Just I'm owning the property. And you don't get the tax hit. Exactly, okay? Um, in that respect. Now, do I lose out on the equity increase? Well, that's why Alfonso's doing it, okay? But I can sit back and let Alfonso worry if the furnace goes, okay? Or if there's a problem with the tenant, okay, et cetera. I just sit back and collect the, the, the monthly return on that particular mortgage and easy peasy is the only way I can describe it. That's the best type of investing as far as I'm concerned, zero risk. Awesome. Very cool. So the next part of the podcast is our lightning round. I mean, Rod, we can keep talking to you forever and you got so much great insight. Everybody um, likes free legal advice. So. <laughs> I know, right? So we'll have to have you come back on at some point in the future, but the next part is our lightning round. So, so Alfonso and I will take turns asking you four total questions and try to keep your answers within like 10, 15 seconds each. Done. This week's lightning round is brought to you by Butler Mortgages, Canada's number one mortgage brokerage three years in a row. If you need a great mortgage broker to help you with investing in real estate or to help you purchase your next home, reach out to Daniel Patton and Michael Zanzini from Butler Mortgages. You can do that by calling 905-569-8326 or toll free at one 888 and check out their website, butlermortgages.com or by email daniel.patton at butlermortgages.com or michael.zanzini at butlermortgages.com. And let's go to the lightning round. All right. So question number one, what is the best advice that you have ever received from another investor or at a networking event? The best advice is to take the shot. Okay. If you take the shot, you have a chance to succeed. If you don't take the shot, your fate is sealed. Love that. I love that. Wayne Gretzky, right? You miss 100% of the shots you don't take. That's great. There's variations, uh, but yes, Michael Jordan, awesome. you name it. You got take it. The shot. Awesome. All right. Number two, what is your favorite resource for real estate investing? And that could be anything a book, a training, an event, a person. This podcast. <laughs> right on right on shameless shameless um what i would say i don't think i have one in particular what i will say probably is google okay i'm not a big fan of everything that is put out there but the because there's a lot of misinformation okay but just educating yourself by finding this type of podcast okay getting as many opinions as possible is always the great way to do it, in my opinion. And then go from there. Books, etc., that sort of thing, magazines. I'm fascinated. If you're passionate, it's easy to, to find it out. I'll start Google and see where it takes you. Google is actually how I learned about real estate investing to begin with before I found all the podcasts and everything else. So great, great resource for sure. Number three, what is the one attribute, Rod, that has made you most successful? I would say work ethic is a personality character trait where if you want to essentially achieve, then you have to put the time in. So I was a whole bunch of ambition years ago and 
I was willing to put the time in. But I would very often see people that either had things, careers, assets, whatever, and I was always fascinated. So I would just simply say, hey, how did you get that Ferrari? Okay, or how did you get that big fancy building? And people liked to talk, oh, I did this, I did that, et cetera, that sort of thing. So having a strong work ethic and a sense of curiosity is, and I mean genuine curiosity, like how did you do that? That's fascinating. I would say those two particular characteristics. And the other thing too is, distinguish yourself okay do what others will not and if you do that then you're going to essentially set yourself up when you take that chance luck meets opportunity combined with hard work that's basically in my opinion the formula for success um, I impressed a client of mine by returning a text message at 11:30 at night because I happened to be up and the client was like, I knew you would answer. Okay. And I'm like, yeah, and you knew I, that I knew it. And that's why I did. And that's why even this type of, um, you know, meeting of the mind sort of thing um, is uh, always a good thing. Work hard. Best advice I can give you. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, yeah, when Rod's on your side, it's like working like a pit bull to make sure that uh, we have all sides covered. So last question of the lightning round. Uh, Rod, I know you have, I guess they're one-year-old now, just new one-year-olds. Well, maybe that has something to do with it. But on a typical Sunday morning, what are you up to? I'll tell you, for a typical Sunday morning is generally when I like to kind of relax, okay, um, in that respect, unless we're doing a speaking engagement or something like that that I'm gearing up for. Alfonso and I have done that in the past. But generally what I like to do is I like to educate and relax. So I'm a big fan of uh, the news shows, etc that they put on um, in American uh, television in the mornings. And I like to basically uh, use that time to do some reading, et cetera, that sort of thing, and just educate. You need some downtime. And Sunday mornings, in my opinion, enjoy sleeping in if you get the chance. Doesn't happen to me too much um, these days. But also take that time to just refresh. And I'll tell you what I do is I plan during that what I'm going to be doing the following week and what my goals are. So I start right away as soon as I get up, okay, have breakfast, do this, and then what am I going to use Sunday time for to ensure that my week goes successfully and what do I want to achieve? Sometimes that's, you know what, I'm feeling tired, I had a super busy week, I'm going to try and catch a nap, okay? If you have that, that might be what's required to go through a heavy week. Other times it's got to do this, I got to do that, but plan your week at some particular point in time. So usually by around noon on Sunday, I've got my week planned. So planning is absolutely essential because life throws all sorts of curveballs. Uh, we all have 24 hours in a day and it's how you use them. Um, the other little tip I would say is that is this a today problem? Is it a tomorrow problem? Is it a next week, next month, next year? Organize what needs to get done today. I knew today I would be on this podcast. So I said, yep, I'm gonna make myself look as pretty as I can um, in that respect. And then what do I wanna talk, talk about, focus on that sort of thing? And I had it in my mind and was planning accordingly. I've been doing so since you first presented the opportunity um, in that respect, and it's been a fun time. 
Awesome. Rod, amazing, amazing uh, interview and a wealth of knowledge. For our Right Club Nation that want to find out more and get in touch with you and your team, how can they do that? Shameless self-promotion. Uh, we're on Instagram. I told you I was that was cool. I spend a lot of time, so it's Revco underscore and underscore associates. I am not a rock star celebrity, that sort of thing. So I think I have a humble 400 followers in that regard. But that's a great way I respond to the DMs if you need to slide into my DMs, as they say. Email is great. It's RR, E as in Edward, F as in Frank, C as in Charles, IO at rrlaw.ca. Our website is www.rrlaw.ca. We have pretty much the full firm services there, as well as my contact information. But I would primarily say, send me an email. It goes direct to my phone. And that email again is rr, e as in Edward, f as in Frank, c as in Charles, io at rrlaw.ca. Everybody gets a free consult. As large as the firm has grown, we're still continuing to grow. I really enjoy meeting new people, taking on new clients, because that for me, I take enjoyment. If I can help you secure your first investment property, and then it leads to you being successful, achieving what you want, I enjoy that. Um, that's really what motivates me is helping people achieve their success. Um, other last bit of advice that someone gave me, focus on making others wealthy and you'll do just fine. And that that's is great so advice. Great, great Love advice. That. Rod, thank you so much for being on the show. It was a pleasure having you on and thanks for all your insights. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate that. You know how to reach me, folks. And uh, we'll look forward to doing it again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Rod. That was great. I, you know what? I really loved how he broke down the vendor take back and, and how to do that from a legal perspective. I mean, Rod, we could have kept talking for hours and hours. I mean, he's got so much information, willing to share, um, you know, He's, he's also a very successful real estate investor. So I, I really enjoyed this podcast. Any, any takeaways on your end, Alfonso? Yeah, I've been lucky. Rod was one of the first uh, people that we met in our, in our JAG's real uh, like uh, evolution into real estate investing and making us think more of like a business and how big businesses operate and not just one or two or three properties. It's everything else that's involved. So um, yeah, he is just really generous with his information, his time, and his truly means he wants to build those relationships. So Rod, Rod's fantastic. And yeah, the vendor take back, I know I've heard it explained before, but breaking it down into those steps and, you know, even going out and getting ideas. I'm sure a few of you have different thoughts and ideas now how to go and find those clients and the actual benefit. Remember guys, it's yes, there is a benefit for you because now you don't have to go to the bank, but there is a huge benefit for those people that are actually will be the vendors that are going to do that take back. So um, yeah, great podcast. Always love uh, doing these with you, Sarah. And uh, yeah, check us out the rightclub.com. But uh, until next time, come grow with us. Thanks for listening to the Right Club podcast and joining our community of real estate investors online at therightclub.com, where the focus is about helping you grow. We look forward to seeing you again next week. Thanks from your hosts, Sarah Larby and Alfonso Salemi.